Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the pointed witch's hat topped with a stuffed vulture of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles <laughs> who want to join Sir, Gattig- Sir Cadigan's Christmas party. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Uh, asking you to explain what the hell you mean by some of the lines you say on this show. <laughs> well, some of them are within the chapter. Some, They're always some of them within, are within the, the chapter. chapter. They're all, yes, they are within the chapter. But applied to us and our circumstances... I ask. I have questions. Well, Spencer, uh, we run a book podcast. Figure it out. <laughs> we're oh, we're the vultures that are circling the the dying or dead remains of most of the other. Oh, I'm having flashbacks to English literature class in 101. Year. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're essentially, you know, have taken up hoops by now. So, you know, <laughs> any any of the other ones are, are fair game. Oh man! So we are. Uh, really, at this point, about halfway through the third book, uh, Harry mm-hmm. Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. We are on chapter 11, called The Firebolt. This was a very straightforward title. There was a very straightforward picture. <laughs> they both attached directly to the chapter, Spencer. I, you know, at a certain point, I was still holding out hopes for fire for this being a fire magic chapter, but I can't say I'm <laughs> overly surprised it went another way. Well, we have uh, some segments that we do here. We have a, a rapid-fire recap. Um, we have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, we have Newbie's Notes with Spencer, and now increasingly BJ, and uh, we award house points, and then there are questions, um, which have already been saved for in the episode, <laughs> so I'm already irritated. So this should be fun, guys. Yeah, B- BJ, your conversation before we started of, oh wait, I've got a question, but I think you'll hate it more if I ask you it on the air. It just so wonderfully summarizes that segment of the show. Well, but it's... The best part is it's not actually Harry Potter related. Um, <laughs> Even better. So, Scope creep. Uh, <laughs> last time uh, we discussed that there was going to be a uh, house points scoring for the recap, but we were going to wait an episode because last episode or last chapter was a doozy. Yes. And I am, and as you maybe explained this, Spencer, I am actively. Um, deleting things from my summary to make sure that I make it. <laughs> you, you, you do, I, I, as a result of those notes being on a computer that has presently died, I'm going to delay by another week before we go back to oh, the, well, the scoring mind. system. So you have, you have been spared, you have, you have a, a delay of execution, no worries. Alright, I will, I will still go for my, my two minute mark. Personal honor rather than house points, understood. Indeed. Um, so are we ready for the recap? Assuming you think you can get this done in two minutes, which I think you've got better odds for it this time. Less happened this time. Um. <laughs> Significantly less <laughs> happened this time. My note, my notes went from three pages to a half a page for this time. Excellent. All right. Well, do you have your uh, giant novelty stopwatch at the ready, Spencer? The giant novelty stopwatch is ready. I was briefly afraid that it broke the other day, but it's still going strong. Well, and you don't have to charge it, so you are better off than most of your gadgets. <laughs> Springs and wires. So Harry somehow makes it back to Hogwarts and is feeling pretty angsty with this fresh news of Sirius Black. So he goes to the photo al- album Hagrid gave him at the end of his first year and finds his parents' wedding photo to see a much, a, a much younger, more handsome, less Azkaban-y Black. 
which prompts more angst. But it is the beginning of the holiday, so that gives Ron and Hermione room to lecture Harry about going after Black without anyone overhearing, so they do. But Harry has a full head of steam on this front and is mad about Black, mad about the Dementors, mad about Malfoy, mad about his dead parents. A suggestion to visit Hagrid turns into a, sure, I can ask him about why he didn't tell me about Sirius Black accusation, so they go anyway. And Hagrid is bawling. He's gotten a letter from the school governors indicating that he can keep his job, but Buckbeak has to have a hearing in front of the committee for the disposal of magic of dangerous creatures. Hagrid is crushed and has let Buckbeak stay in his house. Uh, Hermione is ready to lodge the defense. Ron is ready to make a cup of tea. The flubberworms are dead. Hagrid has to walk by the Dementors and relive his time in Azkaban. It's bad. Harry and Co. spend much of the break in the library trying somewhat in vain to find something for Buckbeak's defense. And Christmas comes and there are presents, including for Harry, an anonymously sent package containing a firebolt. Much speculation ensues about who sent it. Dumbledore, Lupin, who wasn't in the hospital wing when he was supposed to be sick. Hermione comes in with Crookshanks, who is still actively trying to attack Scabbers and is um, suspicious of the firebolt. In Crookshank's attack, all sorts of chaos happens, and the pocket sneakoscope is knocked free and goes nuts. Everyone's mad. Scabbers looks stressed. Everyone finally goes down to Christmas lunch, and Dumbledore is in high spirits with Christmas crackers and hats. And Sybil Trelawney shows up for the meal somewhat unexpectedly and makes a huge fuss, fuss about becoming a table of 13. After they've gone back up to the common room, McGonagall shows up because Hermione has told her about Harry's mysterious broom. To Harry's horror, McGonagall insists on taking it to strip it down to see if it's been jinxed or cursed or who knows what. Her Harry is stun stunned, Ron is furious, and Hermione thinks the broom came from Sirius Black. That last stutter moved you over by a oh, second. Oh no! <laughs> you were on perfectly. Well, shoot. At least you haven't <laughs> so come up with your new system yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you did, you did not lose Ravenclaw 100 points today. Thank you. Maybe next time. Well, let's see what the next chapter is. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to work BJ into the system. Perfect. Um, so, oh, we have a good chapter I, coming I up have, next. I have, I have Please. Um, so, Sarah. Yes. What's the difference between an M dash and an N dash? Um, so, an M dash is longer. <laughs> um, N dashes are actually hyphens. And so okay. many people use, erroneously use an N dash uh, when they are really trying to use an M dash. This is really great, great in an audio form. <laughs> um, when they are trying to use an M dash, which would perhaps set off a clause or, or something else from a sentence. Um, but that should always be an M dash. Okay. Um, I have a question for the two of you. Mm -hmm. How many... M dashes, do you think we're in this chapter? A lot. Uh, 47. You counted them too. I didn't. You didn't? It is no. exactly we're... 47. Oh my god, Oh wrong. Jesus Christ. Sarah, that was really terrifying. <laughs> I so counted that them. That makes up whatever house points I would have lost. For... <laughs> it does. Sarah, it, it's really weird to find out at this point in your life what your superpower is. Oh my is. gosh. Um, I, I started early on and I'm like, huh. This is uh, the chapter. The chapter name, or or the uh, I'm giving is Deus Ex M Dash. Um, but I started off and I was like, "Huh, there there are a lot of dashes in the first couple of pages." And then I started counting, and then I started writing notes on the Kindle every so often to continue keeping count because keeping a number in my head and counting while I was trying to read just wasn't working so well. Um, and and yeah, I was shocked that there were almost fifty dashes in this chapter for I 
don't really know what reason. I am, you have, BJ, talked about um, in your writing perhaps being guilty of using too many and too frequent commas. Mm Mm-hmm. I am a giant fan of the (laughs) M-dash. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I love an Uh, (laughs) M-dash. I I can't say that I've ever seen it used in most of the literature that I read for especially work. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, I could I I think I prefer it in terms of um, it seems to be used at least every so often in in, in a pause, mm-hmm. um, and I think I prefer that to ellipsis because I find that I guess in my head that's a trailing off rather yes. than a pause, and it seems like um, all of them have been used in this chapter for for various reasons and also there were a bunch of incorrect ellipses um that i noticed and i'm now more frustrated now that i know that that three and four ellipses have definite uh informational meanings and that they're not always used correctly at least in the kindle edition oh interesting yeah i had not i i have not been we talked about this in an earlier chapter i have not been paying attention to the actual ellipses and what they're doing. Did you know, and this is still kind of infuriating to me, and I don't know why this happens, that when you are using the four ellipses, the four dot ellipses at the end of a sentence, that it is not like you had the three ellipses and then the period at the end of the sentence. The actual period Mm -hmm. is before the ellipses, regardless of whether the sentence was actually finished or not. That is so weird. And I wonder if that actually works on, like... I wonder how that works on like word processing because a lot of word processors actually do different spacing for yes. ellipses. Mm-hmm. Do. And I don't know uh, if they like recognize that that's the actual, I don't think they recognize that that's the actual rule. But I also like, I find it bizarre and slightly maddening. <laughs> I, I assume a programmer saw that because they were forced to look it up and said, no, that is wrong. <laughs> I don't care. Um, so the, the last thing that I was thoroughly amused by um, is the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures, or the CDDC. <laughs> <laughs> and whether that is um, gotta, gotta be intentional. referred to as such in, in the movies, and I hope so, but I fear that it isn't. It is not. Um, that would be incredible. <laughs> um, but, and I am not at all surprised that Hagrid has run afoul of them many times and views them not favorably. Mm. And with that, what note store does our, well, I guess I'm in that, this category too, to a certain extent, but what, <laughs> I, the, what does the newbie have? I'll set the structure. Feel free to pipe in at any point, PJ. Uh, mm-hmm. First thing, first thing, Harry, 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 <laughs> we need, Harry, we've talked about this. Why did no one ever tell you? You know exactly why no one ever told you harry you wouldn't let them <laughs> several people tried over the course of this book to tell you exactly what was going on and at every opportunity you intervened and the fact you have no awareness of that is hilarious um i mean he's still like 13 14 so on brand i mean some of these moments are not that long ago at this point <laughs> Uh, I had forgotten about Hagrid's gift to the photo album. I blocked that one in my mind. I forgot what a really nice gesture that gift is. And now it's playing practical dividends now, too, in terms of giving Harry his first photo insight into what uh, Sirius Black's connection to his family was, which is painful and traumatic and 
leads us into some really effectively dramatic moments in this chapter as Harry's trying to process his grief. I mean, the conversation he has with Ron and Hermione is one of the more tense moments we've honestly had in the books in terms of the back and forth that they're going through, ending on appropriately sound advice from Hermione, but a very <laughs> effective rejoinder from Harry, too, that because of Sirius Black, how would we ever know what my parents wanted? It feels almost like we're building up to like that kind of classic fiction trope of the hero is going to have the villain at his mercy at some point, and he has to decide whether he wants to fulfill his cause of revenge or otherwise be the better man which is a trope that is as old as damn time and has become very popular in, you know, comic books and all fantasy works lately. But it's definitely setting it up kind of here in terms of what the characters are discussing. It also raises questions now to wonder about, um, Harry directly brings up what we learned a chapter or so ago that Sirius Black is oddly immune to Dementors, uh, which as we've seen, at least with Harry, they seem to bring to the surface all of your regrets, all your pain, all your past traumas, but he's immune to that. And I'm, ha I'm having to wonder, are spoiled sociopaths kind of immune to Dementors just because they have no regrets and past pain? And if so, does that explain Sirius Black? Is that he's just so utterly self-absorbed or, you know, never, is, never has had a, a thought of doubt about himself that he's not, there's nothing to taunt him with? Maybe it's just a little bit too serious. You know, I, I, I'm left to ponder now, given what we know about what these things do, what kind of person would be immune to them? And it's horrifying. Uh, now I really want the sort of, like, um, Harry Potter elective in like a psychology course. <laughs> Dementors, unpack, unpack their effect on human psychology. Go. I think it, you know, delving into dark arts practitioners or uh, why do you actually want to see the future? Mm. You know, you can mm. have, you could have loads of different uh, units in the... Dealing with grief and trauma. Yeah, or even just unpacking the subject of why are characters in Harry Potter so effective in dealing with trauma? Is it a result of long of low level trauma that just runs their day to day lives? Is it because they're British? <laughs> okay, alternative theory presented. <laughs> I think you've told me we're going to meet non British characters at some point in this series, though, too. Yes, so we are. We'll to assess them as well. Uh, Don't we have some Irish characters? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we don't know which argument. side of the island they come from. <laughs> Getting into the argument about the diff mm. how broad you want to consider the term British Isles or not. Mm -hmm. Let's start a war over that issue. Um, like you said, BJ, I'm thinking that Hagrid has been quite the frequent flyer in front of the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. Like, they may have just a picture on the wall of him about this is the man that's helped fund our department for the last year. Because we've... One of the main tropes we know about Hagrid is the number of dangerous magical creatures that he just runs with, despite any sense or reason. Like, you know dangerous spiders that are now apparently taking over an entire forest and are perfectly willing to eat people that he just goes out and feeds every day at least talks to every day so yeah i among the various side novels and novellas that i'd like love to see published a brief pamphlet or encyclopedia on the subject of hagrid's prior creatures that have gone in front of this committee would be delightful to read I mean, it's clearly not Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, but that would have been a much more entertaining plot, I'm guessing, for it. Uh, also, credit where it's due, uh, I legitimately forget it sometimes that Harry is a remarkably empathetic person who is a good, who is a, you know, a good guy. As frustrating as he can be, as self-absorbed as he sometimes can be, as bullheaded and lacking in any degree of foresight, there is a definite kernel of caring for those people, the broken, the downtrodden, the, you know, bastards and broken things of this series that Harry has, and that is to his credit. Uh, 
I also fundamentally agree with Ron that tea actually does make everything <laughs> significantly better. Uh, I pretty much never had a circumstance of where tea would not have at least marginally improved at what was going on. And I feel like I need to comment here that is the most British possible thing of the entire series that the only non-magical thing that carries over is tea. tea. <laughs> well, there are things that are fundamental to the British fiber of being, sir. No amount of magic can separate that from, from the person. Uh, what sort of things? Um, I think if we just have reiterated in this chapter that Mrs. Weasley is just another sweetheart. Uh, mm -hmm. Her continual gifts to Harry every season are just very sweet. Uh, I share Hermione and McGonagall's concerns about the broom, but... I think Hermione's got other issues going on here. Her reaction wasn't, uh, well, her reaction wasn't, you know, an unpacking of what this gift could mean. Her reaction was immediately to the fact that that particular gift is there. And given that she previously bought him a broom cleaning kit, I'm almost wondering whether she's just frustrated that someone co-opted her planned gift. <laughs> Perhaps with a much nicer equivalent than anything that she could reasonably afford, of course, but this seemed to be a targeted not only that you need to be more careful, that's her always byline, this seemed to be more targeted about what the gift was. But we'll see. At least the concerns that she's directly manifesting seem very much merited in that, uh, yeah, among the various possible people that could have sent this, Sirius Black may rank fairly high. I mean, it's probably not one of the teachers. There'd be too many potential, potential issues there, not that Dumbledore gives a shit. Uh, he has no other, you know, rich friends or anything that would ever buy anything for him. And I believe you guys told me previously that the Black family is remarkably well-established and wealthy. Old. Old. Old money? Or just old? Uh, from my brief delve into the family trees of things, the Black family was one of the older roots of magical wizard wizarding families. That's what, what I what, gleaned, what? and I didn't look too far into it, because I feel like knowing spoilers will... Well, it's on, it's on my list of questions, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how much Sarah's willing to tell us. TBD. Uh, we, we have another damn scene of Crookshanks, Scabbers, and the Sneakoscope going wild. Miss Rowling, I understand. I get it. You've played out this scene like three or four different times in different ways. You might as well just have flashing warning lights that drop down from the ceiling saying, This is important, I want you to remember this. <laughs> Somebody in this room is evil or means active threat, and given that this thing has gone off previously with Scabbers in the room, I'm guessing Scabbers. Unless it's in some way going off because Hermione had, you know, was playing a trick essentially on Harry about the real reason she was opposing the broom. These are the possibilities, but it, see, it has gone off previously around the Weasley family, which presumably Scabbers was there. And now that Crookshanks continually decides to murder him in a way that is decidedly cat-like, but could have another explanation... I'm they. I'm getting all the evidence I need. Thank you. I don't need any more. Well, so the, uh, like, when did we actually see it go off? Uh, we have previously seen it go off uh, the when train. it's dropped out of Harry's luggage. But the main example I'm offering is that before Ron even sent it, he said it was broken because it kept on going off around the family. Well, but yeah. he also now, offered we, the explanation that the Weasley twins were being like particularly awful. Well, and. Going up to my next point about them again teasing the idea that Lupin's afraid of crystal balls, this book is very willing to offer red herrings to explain things. Um, but it did go off on the train when the Dementors were present. I'm not saying there couldn't be other things that caused it to go off, but in this room at this given time, the options are limited. Are cats Dementors? <laughs> well... Given that both Sarah and I are, uh, 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 Sarah is a current cat owner, and I've got a long history of it, 
Uh, I will fight you, BJ, if we want to go into that topic. <laughs> I grew up. I had cats too growing up. I still think there might be something there. <laughs> I don't. And they do stare at ghosts in the corner sometimes. So I think they might be like divination professors. <laughs> Um, also, one of my cats ate a cockroach last night, so I don't know what that means in this world. Like a full-size palmetto bug cockroach? Yes, she caught it oh. and crunched it, and it was gross, but she got some protein, so I guess that's fine. I was going to say, better than leaving it around. I was actually very glad that she ate it, yes. One of the most effective purposes that cats serve is that they will make war on anything that moves in your house, which can make them very effective in eliminating all things that both fly and crawl. Yes. <laughs> Um, but anyway, that, that, that finished off my newbie's notes. So I believe we're going from here into house points. Yeah. So a uh, clear, clear loser of this chapter. Uh, Hagrid has had the worst of all possible days and seems to, in fact, be having a, a just a pretty bad week. And it's just a, it's a, it's it's demonstrative of uh, Hagrid's nature is that he does get good news in this chapter, but it just means nothing to him compared to the scale of the bad news. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, that Hagrid's time at Hogwarts can somewhat, and fairly often, pretty much every time we interact with him, can fairly often be summed up uh, by the Friends intro song. I'll be there for you. When it hasn't been his day, his week, his month, <laughs> or even his year. Yeah, it's, it's also the case that Hagrid is just one massive softy, because I'm pretty sure in a about two-thirds, three-fourths of all chapters he has been in, he breaks down bawling at one point or another. Like, even in the very first chapter we ever met him, I'm pretty sure he broke down bawling. It's just it, even odds whether he will be drunk at the same time or not. <laughs> there could be help. He's also, you know, probably always at least a little bit drunk, too. I mean, well, maybe less so similar. now, because he has to walk past the Dementors to get down to the pub. Ah. Uh. I mean, he could be in point. pain all the time, like Andre the Giant. That's certainly true. This is possible. Um, what's, as far what's as remarkably horrifying to oh, go ahead, Spencer. I'm sorry. I said, I said, also to add to his list, it was remarkably horrifying to hear him describe what exactly it is like to be locked up in Azkaban and what he's still going through as a result of that. Yes. So, and I did think that Lord was trauma. interesting because we got more of an explanation of kind of what the Dementors do last chapter, um, mm-hmm. but to hear Hagrid specifically talk about it in a personal, like, apply that personally, um, mm-hmm. I think was really af- affecting um, oh, yeah. in this chapter. He basically revealed that Dementors are that mental effect you have where that thing that happened to you when you were five that still pisses you off just suddenly jumps back into your brain, but you're just always having that. Plays on loop, yeah. And yep. that is hell. That is the definition of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also interesting that the Dementors are not only, like, the essentially prison guards of Azkaban, but they are the torture mm-hmm. yeah, device of Azkaban. something out of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so winner of the chapter, not a lot of like real cl- clear winners in this chapter, I feel like. Um, I mean, we saw some people have a good time this chapter, like Dumbledore had to seem to have a nice Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I feel like in terms of who got what they wanted from the chapter... Um, I think we we might be setting up for this to bite her in the butt, but Hermione did pretty well in what she set out to do in this chapter, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's <laughs> fair. Uh, the possibility of blowback can only be judged based on future chapters, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than, we don't really got- see that many people in this chapter. 
Yeah, I mean, we sort of have our main trio and then a couple of other professors and, and Hagrid and like at not, the yeah, at the feast. Not a lot, but... Right, and not a lot of activity mm-hmm. happens. Um, I mean, and then, you know, there's always the put downs for the divination arts and stuff like that, which are kind of funny, but not really point worthy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I like Hermione as the, uh, she got to tattle on somebody and that's like her third favorite thing. <laughs> and she like gets to go into action to defend Buckbeak. Mm-hmm. That seemed to be pretty good for her. She what? gets to go on a Spencer spiral. <laughs> and and into Le- law books, no less. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Legal research shall save the day. May I say, my average day is nowhere near as entertaining as trying to save a hippogriff from execution. You don't get to read about hippogriff baiting as a possible defense uh, for... You know, if I had, I think you guys can trust me that you would have heard about it before I'd even <laughs> finished the damn book. The moment I got that assignment in, that we've taken on a new client, the hippogriff accused of attacking a student. You know, the conversation's not even over before I got you guys on speed dial to find out about that one. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm a little surprised because I expect that alligator and alligator-related lawsuits are, like, half of what happened in Florida. No, no, they happen too often to ever be really be litigated now. They're just necessary background. <laughs> we just assume, we assume a set number of people die a year to alligators. You know, it's, it's a certain spillage statistic. Oh, man. Um, but... I did. I was also amused. I, I do agree with Hermione winning, but I was very much amused by how much pleasure McGonagall got at needling um, Trelawney. Yes, <laughs> like she could not contain herself. The scorn she has for that lady's profession. Yeah, and I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's kind of like typical uh, tarot card reader and crystal ball enthusiast like responses. Well, it's like, oh well, it'll happen eventually, or like it's not always clear exactly what's going to happen, and. It just is a very, it would have been nice to not go with all of the uh, sort of tried and true things associated with these for the books, but hopefully it'll end a little bit more interestingly. Would we like to move into questions? Yes. BJ, you want to start us off? At some point, I think we're all going to have to um, acquiesce to Sarah's request to stop talking about pictures and paintings. (laughs) (laughs) But today is not that day. (laughs) However, this chapter is not where I'm going to agree to that request. Oh, okay. What? (laughs) So why is the album that Hagrid gave to Harry non-magical? Like, how did he get... in? And why was, like, a presumably all-wizard wedding taken, like, the photos taken by a non-magical photographer? Oh, um, does it specifically say in the chapter that they're non-magical? No, but if they were magical, Mm -hmm. there could be movement and interaction, which I have a feeling would be very problematic for the plot. And so I think that was dutifully ignored. So there is movement in the pictures. Um, we learned that okay. in the first book. Uh, when he first got the the album, um, his parents were like, well, I mean, I guess it, I guess it, it could be interpreted either way. There's some sort of line about like his parent. He saw his parents waving back up at him. Um, yeah. And so I so guess that could have ha- just been with them with their hand, hands raised. But um, right. And this says like, you know, the, they're looking back at him or, or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, um, so they, and, and this is, I guess this is actually a little bit of sort of movie creep in, although I don't think it's on. They're canon. I, I, yeah, sort of. I don't think it's on incongruous with the descriptions in the books. But the thing mm-hmm. about, like, I think part of the difference between photographs and paintings is that paintings end up, I think for, I mean, we could sort of debate about the interpretation for why this is. I think there are a lot of possible a possible paintings reasons. are One. more alive because they capture more of the artist's soul. <laughs> yeah, like there know? are there are many things we could mm-hmm. say about this, but like they have much more leeway in moving around and in the movements that they do. And of course, as we've talked about, like going in between each other, as we see with with sort of Cadigan's Christmas party um, in this chapter yeah. as well. Um, and so, like photographs can move, but it's pretty. It's pretty prescribed. Limited. It's pretty prescribed. Yeah. Um, it's a, um, like honestly, they're they're kind of like gifs. <laughs> oh God, you're one of those people, um, and <laughs> I am. Yes. <laughs> do so. Do pictures not talk canonically? Mm-mm. Okay. No photographs. Photographs yeah. don't. Yeah, because otherwise um, your newspaper would just be screaming at you all day. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but I I really feel like there could be a lot gleaned from some of these photographs that would be problematic for the chapter and and i was curious as to like what was going on with that and if those just say like yeah we're not gonna deal with that being a possible problem and you know that that might be be the case if you have serious black in a lot of pictures with the potters or it could be the case you know that their marriage would have been at least two-ish years before antebellum <laughs> um so there, there might have been time for for something else to happen with Sirius Black. Like there are possibilities, but I feel like you're pro- you're probably right on the merits, BJ. That like it's just it's not worth opening up that can of flubber worms um, <laughs> in the course of a brief description of these photographs. Yeah, Spencer. All right. So speaking of Sirius Black, the Black family. I've heard before that they are a foundational old wizarding family. But are they still an existing one of power, wealth, and prestige? Is Sirius Black the member of a, you know, a large and still vibrant family tree? Or is he kind of like the last scion of a dying bush? Unclear, yes. Spencer. <laughs> Spoilers. You, you said A or B, and I said yes. How is that spoilers? I, I'm, I'm ignoring you entirely. <laughs> Okay, more to be found out. Fine. So, I um I think I have my timeline wrong. Um, but was in the first book, mm-hmm. I think it was we had um was that was the dragon cub being snuck out. Yes. And so Hagrid went. Hagrid said that in or I don't know, maybe I misread it, but I mm-hmm. thought Hagrid said that when he was in Azkaban, that was one of the memories that was brought up. So he was taken back to Azkaban in book two when he was suspected of opening the Chamber of Secrets again. Ah, okay. So I think he meant That's that right. time that he was in Azkaban. Interesting. Because I guess my reading had it as like, I guess I didn't know that he was like committed to Azkaban. Like I didn't, I didn't know if there was like a holding and he got released or it's just like a super immediate, like we're going to send you back there. to yeah. Supermax. Yeah. Um, I don't like as far as we know, he just went to Azkaban for a couple of weeks. Interesting. With like no trial and no 
um, Azkaban until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, they were treating it as a jail, not a prison. He's allowed to be held there for a certain period without charge. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, all right, uh, my turn, BJ. Uh, please. So, question about professors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been suggested in this chapter that Trelawney very rarely comes down from her tower. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is accurate, I'm presuming, that she's pretty much keeping herself in semi, you know, prognostification isolation up there at the top of the tower. Yes. To what degree are professors expected to take part in, in events or have administrative responsibilities, or is it really individually flexible? Because it definitely seems like each professor kind of does their own thing with respect to playing a part in running this school. Yeah, it seems to be pretty individually flexible. And we, I mean, as far as the professors go, like we certainly learn, I would say, the most about um, our our four heads of houses. So, Mm -hmm. and and even really two of those more than the others. So McGonagall and Snape and um, then Professor Sprout and Professor Flitwick. Are, are kind of always there. We always learn more about Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher as we have seen them cycle in and out and be generally relevant, like plot-relevant characters. <laughs> um, but then we kind of get other other professors float in and out more. Obviously, we're getting a lot of Trelawney in this book. Um, we get more astronomy in other books we've gotten a little bit of professor bins but like it's a little bit unclear other than our our kind of main four professors and heads of houses exactly what other duties professors have um obviously Mm -hmm. professor sprout is like really maintaining the gardens for all of the things that people need like mandrakes to Mm -hmm. unpetrify people um and that seems to keep her pretty busy. She has to go repair the Whomping Willow sometimes. <laughs> that is a challenge. Um, I would guess that it kind of depends on how useful the teacher is and what they're asked to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and also how much Dumbledore is willing to interact with them. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that the amount that McGonagall snipes at Trelawney Dumbledore just is unwilling to talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't say it's in any way unrealistic that there's basically four people running this thing and everybody else is treating it like a part-time job. That kind of describes every job ever for everyone. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is interesting to see it play out that some have very almost self-imposed limited limited roles while other people take on these vast additional tasks as part of running the school. Well, and it's it's also kind of to your point, Spencer, it's a little... I, I honestly wish we knew more about what the other professors did because, like, this is... As far as we know, this is a residential job for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have to hang around the castle with a bunch of teenagers. Like, what? what yeah, is... Um, what are you doing with your days? I mean, she does have a bunch of crystal balls that may see into the future, but also you know, in fantasy, usually see other things. Maybe Dumbledore's just going up there and that's how he's spying on everybody all the time. (laughs) Um, I also really want McGonagall to make the bad joke of, you know, we all rotate, you know, officiating Quidditch matches. You know, why don't you take your turn? Or you could just call the score beforehand. I mean, since you obviously should know it. (laughs) 
Yeah, it, it is fun to imagine the kind of like the side gigs some of these professors do to keep busy. Like, you know, obviously Tarani probably has a 1-800 number that he does prognostication <laughs> for to bleed into the muggle world. Hooch is clearly at least in an intramural league for Quidditch, because otherwise what the hell else is she doing for 90% of her time? Sure. Um, yeah, it'd be a fun list to ponder out. So, um, it would be it would be very entertaining to me, and I know that they wouldn't have done this, but if they had gotten the uh, movie prop from Big to go in like somewhere in the corner in her tower, and it's just like, well, this is the substitute teacher if I'm feeling under the weather. Oh man, you got another one, BJ? Um, I think I'm good for this chapter. This was a fairly descriptive chapter. Yeah, at a certain point, some of my other questions here are mostly just taunting myself, so I'm just going to skip those. Like, you know, who will be the 13th underlined three times is starting to get, like, something out of seven, so I probably should just stop doing that. Okay. So well. when, the four- when the 14th gets up, does the, the 13th then become the 13th people at dinner, and then they... Any, any yeah. dinner party under or over 13 no one people? Mo- no one move. I'm writing out cards. You will know your number at all times. You can never stand up. Oh, man. Okay, so next time around, we have Chapter 12, uh, The Patronus. Spencer, does uh, this mean you anything to you? I've said this word several <laughs> times. I am now going to find out what the hell this thing is. Will I now be able to take this test on the Harry Potter website? Uh, um, I think so. I th- Yeah, I can't remember if you can... Hmm, maybe not after this chapter. But at the end of this okay. book. At the at end least. of this book, yes. But I feel okay, like so taking the test is spoilery beyond learning just what a Patronus is in the next chapter. Hmm. Okay. Well, at least I will have further knowledge in this world. Yes. I think at the end of this book, you might start understanding all of the Harry Potter tattoos that you will see commonly, but that might be later. Um, you'll get you guys some of weird, them. You guys give me such weird hints about where these books are going to some days go. <laughs> More like the weird think- fandom for the books than... <laughs> Now we're adding the tattoos to all your various centaur stories, BJ. What books did you read by the time these were done? Uh, I, I just am familiar with like the random Reddit comments and stuff like that that go on very often, um, along with uh, one of my exes and uh, one of our mutual friends in uh, the chemistry fraternity I was in are probably bigger fans than sarah of harry potter don't say things you don't mean sir <laughs> i know i i mean it um and so i was sort of like harry potter adjacent to to things that happened and th- that's actually why i ended up reading the first two books is that that uh the sex was a huge harry potter fan and was beside herself that i hadn't read them since i read a lot of fantasy and mm-hmm. I acquiesced to her request to uh, read Harry Potter. And after the second book, I was like, I'm good. And here you are. <laughs> Might have been Little did the... you know, PJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun, guys. Yep. It has. Looking forward to the next one. Okay.